Catechism of the Catholic Church in a year. Today is day 104. We begin with number 767. When the work which the Father gave the Son to do on earth was accomplished, the Holy Spirit was sent on the day of Pentecost in order that he might continually sanctify the church. Then the church was openly displayed to the crowds and the spread of the gospel among the nations through preaching was begun. As the convocation of all men for salvation, the church in her very nature is missionary, sent by Christ to all the nations to make disciples of them. So that she can fulfill her mission, the Holy Spirit bestows upon the church varied hierarchic and charismatic gifts, and in this way directs her. Henceforward, the church, endowed with the gifts of her founder and faithfully observing his precepts of charity, humility, and self-denial, receives the mission of proclaiming and establishing among all peoples the kingdom of Christ and of God. And she is on earth the seed and the beginning of that kingdom. The church will receive its perfection only in the glory of heaven, at the time of Christ's glorious return. Until that day, the church progresses on her pilgrimage amidst this world's persecutions and God's consolations. Here below she knows that she is in exile far from the Lord and longs for the full coming of the kingdom, when she will be united in glory with her king. The church, and through her the world, will not be perfected in glory without great trials. Only then will all the just from the time of Adam, from Abel, and the just one, to the last of the elect, be gathered together in the universal church in the Father's presence. The church is in history, but at the same time she transcends it. It is only with the eyes of faith that one can see her in her visible reality and at the same time in her spiritual reality as bearer of divine life. The one mediator, Christ, established and ever sustains here on earth his holy church, the community of faith, hope, and charity as a visible organization through which he communicates truth and grace to all men. The church is at the same time a society structured with hierarchical organs in the mystical body of Christ, the visible society and the spiritual community, the earthly church and the church endowed with heavenly riches. These dimensions together constitute one complex reality which comes together from a human and a divine element. The church is essentially both human and divine, visible but endowed with invisible realities, zealous in action and dedicated to contemplation, present in the world, but as a pilgrim, so constituted that in her the human is directed toward and subordinated to the divine, the visible to the invisible, action to the contemplation, and this present world to that city yet to come, the object of our quest. O humility, O sublimity, both tabernacle of cedar and sanctuary of God, earthly dwelling and celestial palace, house of clay and royal hall, body of death and temple of light, and at both, and at last both object of scorn to the proud and bride of Christ. She is black but beautiful, O daughters of Jerusalem, for even if the labor and pain of her long exile may have discolored her, yet heaven's beauty has adorned her. Father. Thanks, Phil. There's, a, um, there's probably two really important points to begin our reflection today. The first is... is one of the words that comes up twice that maybe is not a, a, a normal word that we use is hierarchical. 
um, uh, it's a defining and essential element of the church, right? Without the hierarchy, there is no church, but also it's not only the hierarchy. And then the second is this constant tension between the human and divine element of the church, so just starting with, you know, how this church is meant to be seen. It's that, you know, it's it's a non-accidental feature. It's absolutely part and parcel of, of accepting the church is accepting the hierarchy, right? And, and I think we, especially as Americans, for probably the great majority of our listeners have a struggle with, with what is the church? Because, you know, all we're taught from a young age is how awful the monarchy is, right? And democracy is, is the way that government should be and, and all of these things. Well, no, it's not always been the case. And, and in all honesty, it's not really what the church teaches, um, that, that it's not the ideal form of government. Um, and there's a reason for it. Like we like, we like our checks and balances and everything and we, we whatever promotes the most virtue, well, we can kind of see where democracy doesn't always promote virtue. When it does, it's great. When it doesn't, yeah, we see what happens. Um, so we have this understanding that we really need to have an understanding that the church is not a democracy. It's not uh, the people playing with, you know, or making decisions for the hierarchy and the hierarchy should be taking polls of what the church believes. No, no, no. That's not how the that's not how faith works. The hierarchy is meant to give order. Um, when the when the when the hierarchy is doing its job, the bishops especially, and to a lesser extent priests and even lesser extent deacons, the they're meant to give order to what is the faith, to how we are to act, um, and how God's grace is meant to flow into the world. But but it doesn't work as a democracy, and, and we need to remember that, that as we look to the bishop, we're not looking to our elected leader. We're not looking to the guy who's here to represent us. He's meant to lead and guide us. He's meant to be uh, someone who, who has great authority over us, and, and then it can be difficult, sure. But at the same time, we have this belief and, and trust that God will bring us through, which brings us to our next point, which is this tension that will always be present in the church. Right? Church is very self-aware of this, that we will always have a human and divine element, a sinful and yet glorious element, that there will always be this great difficulty, this great scorn, but there will always be greater glory. And, and the church will never be perfected, as St. Augustine points out in today's reading, that it isn't until the Lord comes again, right? We I immediately thought of the Advent season, right? That that's the prayer of Advent. That we're kind of the church, in a sense, is always in a state of Advent, not a penitential season, mind you, but a preparatory season for the Lord's coming in 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 glory at the end of time. That's that's the only time we're going to see the church truly. Uh, just like we won't see God fully until then, we'll get glimpses. We'll get kind of hints at it, but it's only at the very end of time that we'll finally understand what the church was meant to be, what she is supposed to be. Um, but while on earth, we're going to see a lot more of the human element, <laughs> and that's okay, right? That St. Bernard at the end talks about the fact that she is black but beautiful. She is, uh, you know, both both scorned and yet loved. She is both... Uh, pain and in labor, but heaven's beauty has adorned her. That, that's what we look at when we look at the church. We see both elements, and only in the eyes of faith can we see, oh yeah, but grace has always flowed out of her. The gospel has always been preached in spite of all of this, <laughs> the sins and the failures of the church, that even though the even the church fathers themselves spoke about the sinfulness of the church, right, that we can still glory in, <laughs> in her, in the church, um, because that's what God has ordained. That's how he has ordered 
our our faith. That's how he has chosen to be present to us in the world. But only we can only see him, we can only see the church truly with the eyes of faith that is itself a grace.